0: Hello again, Peter.
1: Yes, we're back. We are
0: back. Um, okay, so, I mean, quite crazy. Podcast episode number 10. Okay. Doesn't seem like it, but I suppose the year is coming quickly to a close. So yeah. yeah. Makes sense. Um, yeah, the book that we're going through this time is Leadership Strategy and Tactics by Jocko Willink, And the subtitle is a Field
1: Manual. Should I kick
0: us off with that summary?
1: Yeah, you can. Uh, Yeah.
0: Okay, so Leadership Strategy and Tactics by Jocko Villink is a field manual for leadership. Jocko is a U.S. Navy SEALs officer who served for the Navy SEALs. And then through this training, he learned various fundamental principles of leadership, writing them down, codifying them, and putting uh, putting them to the test in SEALs training and mission scenarios. Leadership Strategy and Tactics draws on this experience, teaching one how to deal with a wide variety of situations as a leader and as a subordinate, using examples from his SEAL's experience. As the title suggests, it covers both strategies and tactics in leadership. Strategy is about long-term objectives and tactics are for dealing with the immediate situation at hand. Once having read through the book, one should have an idea of Jocko's core principles and tenets of leadership, as well as the advice, as well as his advice when dealing with specific situations as a leader, from a broad and a focused perspective. Finally, as the words "field manual" suggest, the book is intended to be used as reference material when dealing with various situations as a leader, and so. While the chapters tie together nicely, it is also structured in short chapters dealing with specific advice, meaning the chapters can be read individually when needing advice on a specific situation. So yeah, that's the broad overview of leadership strategy and tactics. Should we dig into some of the key takeaways? Yeah,
1: no, definitely. I don't know if you have
0: any general thoughts on the... The book and yeah, the the summary part?
1: Yeah, no, um I think it was just um interesting on how I think in the introduction he mentions how and I think you've touched on that that it's from his training um that he developed this, but um mm. he actually said that he is written in such a way that it's not just applicable to that, uh, but um other parts of life. So for instance, I think I think he mentions uh about um giving this material to like company owners and um yeah different businesses and I think uh, in some of the chapters you can see where he makes reference uh, to say that oh th- this is how we handle it in combat, but as a business, this is how you 'd apply the same principles mm. you know so yeah it's um it's quite interesting how if you in, in any situation when you look at fundamentals, and I think that's what he touches about in the introduction that it's he 's talking about fundamentals, you know fundamentals are important in every case, but the do not relay. How you solve um, problems in a later step, but they just equip you with the skill on how to do it mm. when you get to that point. Um, so yeah it, was, wow. yeah, it was an interesting book. Um, yeah, like I mentioned to you earlier, um, all the good books that we've read, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've kind of uh, not read most of them like in the entirety, but yeah. And, uh, with the time I had to <laughs> my best to cover. But this one more? is a chunky one. Yeah, um, no, it's a really it's long
0: book. I think it's an easy read, but it is a a chunky yeah. it's 300 pages, yeah. But uh, and it's funny cuz I think it's like almost spot on 300 pages. Yeah, yeah, Um with excluding like the contents and the index and, uh, and those kind of
1: things. But yeah.
0: yeah. And I think uh, before we go on uh, your your point about um, you can have those principles, but not be a good leader because mm. they're tools in a tool belt um, is important as well because, yeah, figuring out how to apply them, that tactics Ooh. part of the. So you have your strategies, but what are the tactics as well? Um, and it's nice that he covers both. Ooh.
1: And I mean, yeah, and I'm deviating here, but under the foundations, there's the study bit of it. Mm. which actually talks about that, uh, that besides knowing you actually have to practice and go through um, the leadership principles, you know, it just doesn't happen for the fact that you know that these principles exist. You Mm. know, you have to actually put them into practice. Yeah.
0: Mm. Yeah. So going to the key takeaways, um, we're going to do sort of three broad takeaways and then we'll dig into the nuances of those takeaways. We're not going to obviously cover everything in the book because there's a lot of um, detail in it. But yeah, this should give hopefully a, a decent overview. Okay, so starting with pretty much what you said, fundamental principles of leadership. So that's the first thing we'll look at. And the basically the first chapter in the book is about detaching. So I'll read a little piece here and then we can chat through it. So on page 16, he says there, when I was on the line, looking down my gun, I was only seeing what was in my direct field of fire. Now that I stepped back and looked around, I could see the entire deck, all the sol- all the obstacles, and its simple way to and a simple way to clear it. By stepping back, I had detached myself mentally and physically from the immediate problem, and now it was easy for me to see the solution clearer than ever. Um, or clearer than even the more experienced seals in my platoon. Yeah. So, I mean, it's one of those principles that naturally also, um, lends towards business and that if you, if you continuously focused on those small little intricate details of problem solving and you don't actually take a step back, then you, you can't see the broader picture and then you can make bad decisions without without taking that broader picture into oh. account. Um, and then on the flip side of that, if you do step back, sometimes it can actually be surprisingly easy oh. to make a really good decision yeah. if you have detached properly. Oh. Not always, but, but more often than I think people
1: would expect. I think uh, just to add on to that, uh, I think when I was reading that section, I think it's... Something that we hear often. I think it's just the term that he used here that kind of took a while to What is he actually talking mm. about? But um, in essence, um, it's about, you know, so often um, when you're dealing with people, let's say, an owner of, of a company, um, you get to a point where people start to say that person is too close to the Business and are not mm. making the right decision and detach that principle actually speaks into that because it means that they just certain times where you just need to st- step back a bit mm. you know have a different perspective to others you know try to see it from another set of eyes, yeah you know only then can you. See the gaps, you know, because when you're too close to something, I think it's just our human nature. We tend to ignore the bad and just focus on the good, even if the good is minimal and the bad out, the bad outweighs that. You know, we just, as humans, very biased, you know, and to kind of get rid of that bias, that detachment is actually quite important. Because only then are you able to make rational decisions about things. You know, and I think that's what he was speaking into that, you know, in the sense that, you know, when he was, or the arrangement they we were in, all he could see was what's down the barrel of his gun, mm. you know. But if you actually take a moment to sit back, you, you actually f- see a lot more, Yeah. you know. And if there are areas of uh, problem, by stepping back, you're able to then, like he says, see a lot more and you can actually then make better decisions about the situation.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I would um, say that I don't, it doesn't, it's not always that people are just positive or just ne- mm. negative about a situation. I think different people, different personalities will lean in different directions. But I think it's important that idea of like we have these biases mm. and those biases can be emphasized when we directly mm. in that situation. Yeah. And so taking that step back can help a lot with mm. that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's so much to to think about with that um, detachment. Yeah, I mean, yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, the, the broad idea is fairly straightforward mm. and simple. It can just be difficult, as with a lot of these things, to actually purposely think through it and then and um, put it into when, practice, yeah, so. put it into practice mm-hmm. exactly, so yeah, keep on reminding <laughs> <laughs> ourselves of that um okay, then page forty three to forty six are the laws of combat, so these are some of the core things that um this is actually I think the section where he talks about the fact that he was in these SEALs training things, and he started to realize that there were some principles, and he started to write them down and, and codify them. And so he came up with um, what he calls the laws of combat, and there's four of these laws. And then he has, over time, tested these laws and found them to ring true and to work well as a guide. Um, and so he, he basically encourages people to ingest these and think through them and... yeah. So um, I don't know if you want to uh, just list them out and then I'll read through like a, an overview from him.
1: Okay, cool. Uh, so yeah, uh, as James has mentioned, there are four of them. Uh, so the laws of combat are cover and move, uh, simple, prioritize and execute, and decentralized command.
0: Yeah. So then on sort of towards the bottom of page 43, he says yeah, um a unit in the field by itself is a fraction of what it is when it has another unit supporting oh. it. So, this is to do with that cover and mm-hmm. move part. And if you think about it from a, a military perspective or SEAL's perspective, you if you want to approach a target or something like that, and you just sort of run out oh. um, into a field, you're going to get shot and killed. Yeah, yeah. So what they often do and there's various ways of doing it but what they seemingly often do is they'll um have a single person or they'll they'll sort of pair people up or in teams or however it works and the one person is responsible for covering the other person meaning for example often what they'll do is suppressive fire so they'll they'll basically shoot rounds at the enemy not aiming at specific no, targets yeah, or anything, yeah. but basically direction yeah, just trying to get them to not fire back immediately so that the um, the other team member can start moving forward and approaching, and so cover and move um, is the principle, and yeah there's there's of course lots of ways to to apply that in in a business setting, um, but yeah that's the the one of his core core ideas be a team, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> cover and move. Yeah. Um. Okay, then the next one is uh, simple. Yeah. So uh, we need a simple and distinct goal. Everyone on the team must understand that goal. It must be clear. Plans and directives must be communicated up and down the chain of command in simple, clear, concise manners that can be commu- comprehended by everyone. So, yeah. Sorry, you were gonna.
1: No, I, I was saying when I read this section, I think the uh, um, how I sort of interpreted it was in the sense that you need to be very clear and mm. make things less complicated because um, it, it's it's all about comparison. I think he was talking about how can I communicate something to someone that will pass it down the chain of command without it losing. Yeah, without it, meaning distorted. Yeah. Uh mm. so if you I mean we always I mean when we work we always just kiss keep it simple yeah. stupid, you know? Uh. It's if you can break down something to that level, you know, it's then Easier for you to write that piece of code, and then for Mm -hmm. someone who's going to work on it after, will easily figure out what you're doing in no time. And if there's an issue with it, then they can easily solve that issue. But if you make something complicated, you know, it it can work. It doesn't mean that the idea you have doesn't work. It's just that over time, people will come look at what you've done and will be like. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> What's going on here? So yeah, that's what I got from mm-hmm. that simple section. That is, how can one um, effectively and efficiently communicate? You know, and like you said, you know, how do you communicate your goal across? Because I think he speaks about that as the commander. You you have a goal, and you have to make sure that um, everyone's on is on board with that goal that you have. That's mm-hmm. how. I, team sort of uh, works well together and I think that's one uh, principle that, that's important. Yeah. that If you keep it simple then it, like simple for you to you give orders down the chain of command and if they actually understand that principle then it's also for them they use simple terms to communicate things hmm. back up uh, chain of command. Yeah
0: yeah and i mean basically you don't want broken telephone yeah, yeah. in their case like broken radio or something yeah, yeah um you yeah and and i think one of the key things for them of uh, in this idea um seems to be as well we often think that we in order to convey, convey something clearly we need to give like a massively Ooh. dense i mean a a massive um amount of detail, oh. so that we can make sure that the people understand it but in reality that massive amount of detail is just gonna get lost in any way oh. because when someone else communicates it to another person they have to condense that information in order to send it and it pass it down the chain of, or up the chain of command and if you have this complex um a description of something that needs to be done people aren't going to remember that in fact yeah. often people just shut down like after a little while and oh. they'll be like yeah okay no, I understand but they actually don't really understand and I think he does a really cool thing here because he says yeah keep it simple is one of these things and if you look at what he's done the laws of combat are, there's four of them yeah it's simple it's not <laughs> complicated oh. Um yeah so it's just a Well done, Jocko. (laughs) Cool. The next one, um, prioritize and execute. If the leader or team members try to accomplish too many things at once, they will likely accomplish nothing. Yeah. I mean, very straightforward. Yeah. If you want to do things, prioritize what's important, take one step at a time and execute one after the other, and then you'll make progress Else you'll likely
1: accomplish nothing. Yeah, you end up running like a headless chicken. and I mean, (laughs) you don't want that in the field of (laughs) battle.
0: Yeah. And you feel like you're achieving a lot, but actually...
1: You're not. not.
0: yeah. Yeah. And then lastly, another key one is decentralized command. So for a team to utilize decentralized command, it must implement the other laws. Then decentralized command comes to life everyone on the team must step up and lead. So, I mean, in case someone's unsure of what decentralized command is, it's obviously not centralized, decentralized. And so if you think about normally what you have is like you'll have the team lead of, in, in our case, software oh. development teams, you'll have the team lead and then people will think like, okay, that's the person who we should always be looking to oh. and they will always give us the right answers. And what he's saying here is like, sure, I mean, that's a good thing oh. and the team, um, the, the and person in command should be able to do that. But ideally, you actually want the command to be decentralized. And in order to do that, you have to rely on these other oh. principles because if you can't keep it simple and pass things up and down the chain easily, if you can't prioritize and execute important things, and if you don't have the ability to cover and move, then you won't be able to have that decentralized command um, because it'll just kind of be yeah
1: chaotic. Um, yeah, there was just uh, a point I was... Um, I'm trying to get at, uh, with that, um, I think in, under principles, which is the uh, third chapter, I think that's page 132, talks about how, um, you should make sure that you do not lead a lot of people. Mm, right. To ten. Um, no, I think he, 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 was even smaller. It was like four to six, but then that's like, yeah, you can get to that, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, mean,
0: I would, I, I agree with
1: yeah, smaller he, oh, teams. I okay, mean, yeah. in, in the book, yeah, yeah. but um, the reason why I bring that up because he ties that span of control to the decentralized command, and the way he says it is that even though the team can be big, it's actually broken up into. Let's say if there were twenty people in the team, uh, twenty-one including him then there'll be small teams of five, mm. but within yeah. those teams of five there is a leader. So he doesn't communicate his ideas to the twenty. He mm. communicates to the immediate five. Yes. They are then responsible to do that to the rest of to their teams, their smaller teams. Uh, and in all that he even talks about how from that um they can count if people um everyone's together or not because all he needs to do is give a command to um the, the five people immediately after him they then do the count and report back in the chin up so yeah you know it's the, that is what essentially desire command is so in essence that you are responsible for a small team. As mm. much as he's responsible for the whole team, he's not directly leading them in a way. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. And,
0: and his example of the counting is is a really good one. Mm. Because if if you have one leader counting each individual person, it takes ages mm. and there's a likely chance of error and stuff yeah. like that. Whereas if you split it up correctly and you say, okay, you just count your team... Mm then you can get a count of like 50 people Mm. in a cup, like a split second or so, and it will be be more accurate. Mm, mm, mm. Um, And so it's a really good example of if decentralized command is done well Mm. for, in fact, a lot of things. It's not a very specific subset Mm. of things. It's there's a lot of things that decentralized command should be taking place where decentralized command should be taking place. And so yeah, I mean if you think about big companies like big <laughs> yeah, they can't function without um a really high quality decentralized command. And if you look at them whether they're thinking about it or not, these kind of principles will be there well, naturally, in, in yes. effective companies. And
1: I mean you know to take a dig at anyone, but you do see companies that struggle when the owner is trying to get involved in every bit of Mm. uh, operation in the company. You know, there needs to be that level of trust that you, as the owner, identify what it is you're good at, what you do. Not saying you do not lead, you still, again, like he says on the detachment uh, section of that, at the end of the day, it's about in everything you do and i think that's the common theme not just in the tight section is we are working towards a certain goal mm. and it's about how can you effectively communicate that goal to everyone that's working under you yeah. as a leader you know so and it's the same that as a leader you identify those people that then lead the smaller subgroups under you but you do not necessarily have to interact with the lowest uh in that hierarchy, mm-hmm. you know not that you know communicating with them isn't great for you know yeah. the company culture and everything, but when you take it comes to delivery or actually execution execution, yeah, you need to be able to communicate that to those other leaders or people under you that essentially lead those below them. Mm. And the moment they grasp that idea, then they will communicate that, well, Mm. you know, down the chain of command. And, you know, you as the owner, you won't have the same level relationship with everyone, you know. So it's important to then have um, those other leaders that are closer to you your other employees in the sense of a company that then can know how to effectively communicate that goal mm. to the people they work closely with. Um, yeah. So yeah, the, um, sorry, I kind of digress. No, no, there. it's <laughs> helpful. Mm.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's, there's the one more thing that he mentions. There's a a few other different mm. things, but one of the other key components in in that is, and I think it goes for everyone on that chain of command, ideally every employee and every person, but is, um, the, he says that another component of leadership that he realized is vital is extreme ownership. He, in fact, it finds it so important that he wrote a whole entire book (laughs) on it. So the, it's one of, I don't know if that was his first book or, but I know that it's one of the books. Whenever I hear his name, then extreme ownership is the book that people normally mention. Um, and so, I mean, he's uh, there's on page 46, he says, Yeah, extreme ownership is the mindset of not making excuses and not blaming anyone or anything else when problems occur. Um, which is, yeah, extremely difficult at times because there's a bunch of different things that he goes into, and we'll get into it a bit later. But for example, if you have, um, someone who they under your, um, in your team, for example, and they make a blatantly obvious mistake that they they made the mistake. Uh-huh. It's clear that they made the mistake. The natural tendency is to say it's their fault. Right. But what Jocko would say is no, it's always the leader's fault. Uh-huh. There is absolutely no scenario where it is not the leader's fault. Uh-huh. Um, which, yeah, it is very extreme ownership, uh-huh. and I think in large part, if you you actually put it into practice and you think about it, it it makes a lot of sense, because yeah, when when someone takes extreme ownership, then that decentralized command can naturally work well because each of the different components have. High trust oh. because they they're not gonna they don't feel like oh you know if I make a mistake then I'll just get blamed and things like that it's just the leader will take responsibility for those downfalls oh. and then try and reflect and say how how can I improve etc cetera, etc cetera. Oh. not just myself but help the team oh. to improve oh. yeah so it's quite a extreme one but yeah if you want to delve into it more <laughs> in <streamership. laughs> um. Okay, so then going on to um, another point that that is made in the fundamental principles of leadership. So always letting the team have and take ownership of a plan to achieve a goal. So your goal as a leader is to let them do it their way and then giving guidance to Mm. them based on the probability Mm. of success. And I think that's also another really important idea. We don't have to dig into it too much. But yeah, if if you want to have people take ownership, extreme Mm. ownership of things, you need to trust them and allow them to to basically develop the plan so that they can feel responsible for it.
1: Mm. Um, I think um, when you're talking about that... uh, um, uh, that point, uh, there's just a section in the book now. I can just seem to recall, recall um, uh, where exactly, but it talks about how, um, if, um, as a leader, if, um, if let's say, um, you have to conduct some mission, you know, you do not Make the decisions of what needs to be done, so you relay the goal to the team. The team then, and it's exactly ties with the extreme ownership. The team then comes up with their plan, and in so doing, because they came up, with, so it doesn't mean that you do not have a plan. So as a leader, yeah. you kind of, and he from his point of view, he said the team he was in and one of the teams he was in was the person with the most experience. So meaning that he knew better the everyone. <laughs> he he yeah. did put it in that way. But he said, as a leader, he learned quick that if, um, if you kind of order people, it never works well. Yeah. So he, in that section, then said that... Um, he rather allows them to come with a plan. And he sort of has a metric to it. So if he looks at a plan, he he always thinks his plan is 90% correct or 90% the best solution. If um, the team then comes with a plan that's 80%, you know, to, Mm. to the solution, he allows them to execute, you know, and then it goes further and further. But then if it becomes 70, he then adds his input that he feels would take it to the 80 or 90%. Yeah. But if he realizes that the plan they have presented to them is actually utter rubbish, then he will ask them questions mm. to make them realize, realize the errors. And then hopefully if, Then that mindful will go back and draft a new plan that's probably an 80 or a 90, and then Mm. he'll then allow them to go on. And in so doing, people feel, um, they're not that's not leadership, but that's exactly in his eyes what leadership is the ability to know what needs to be done but allow your team to actually come to that realization mm-hmm. and that ties into that ownership bit that in allowing them to plan then they own that idea mm. it, it's their idea meaning that when it comes to executing it they're not executing a plan that just been related to them they're executing a plan that they feel they've you know taken from a small thought to actually plan on paper and ready to be executed.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think that was a really good way of putting it. Mm. Knowing what needs to be done, but allowing the team to come to that realization. Yeah, through whatever means. If they get to that immediately, great. great. If they get to it with a little bit of your input, great. If they don't get to it, and then you have to um, sort of ask them probing questions to try and guide them on the right path. Mm. Then that's fine as well, as long as they manage to get to it themselves, and you don't just basically hand the plan to them mm. and say, "Go, go forth with it." Mm. Yeah, very helpful. Yeah, it's, uh, and and his approach of doing it that way is great. Mm. Yeah. Um, okay, so then part of that is building trusting relationships. So there's page fifty-three. Uh, just a small, small little thing he says there. I'm not trying to build the relationship for my own personal gain. I'm trying to build a relationship with my boss or whoever in this case so that we can better accomplish the mission. Right. So he talks a lot about building relationships um, and having it be foundational. And if you listen to most leadership things, then they'll talk about how high trust is like vital. Oh. Um, it's very difficult to get and to maintain and very easy to lose but it's vital in order to do things mm-hmm. well, um, yeah. And then on, on page 78, uh, it's sort Just of Just before a, you move on from no, no, the ahead
1: relationship ahead. bit, I think um, the power of relationships, I think one important thing uh, that he mentioned was how, you know, when you're dealing with a leader, um, we have to be mindful that egos are always involved. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, 100%. I think there's that mutiny part he talks about with uh, one of the commanders that was just a pain. Mm. But um, he in this section then said that it's easier to kind of recommend something to a leader you have a relationship with than someone that you don't. Because if you recommend something to a leader you don't know, they, they see it as insubordination yeah. or they feel like you're being rude towards them. But if you have a relationship with them, they're more susceptible to taking your advice. Mm. They don't see it as an attack on their character, but rather you helping them or, or, know, or knowing and trusting that, your goals are the same, mm. so that whatever you say is not to make that situation worse, but actually better the situation. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, I just wanted to add that.
0: Yeah, I mean the the ego thing is a good one. He he says there on page um, uh, seventy eight. He, oh. he says there's almost like a summary to that the building relationships part. He says oh. subordinate your ego, oh. build relationships, and win in the long game. Yeah, and if you don't do the, like, subordinating your ego, then, yeah, there's cool. not not much hope. You cool. basically, yeah, will lose in the long run. And
1: yeah, and just to add to that, I think he says it takes someone that's confident in themselves to actually subordinate their ego. Mm, um, yeah. I think that uh, that stood out for me, um, that I think... And I think it's something that um, I've come across in many different forms of our. Um, I don't know if you've heard the 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 the, the phrase um, power and vulnerability. Um,
0: um, I'm not sure.
1: Yeah, but um, so often as human beings we str- struggle with that, but we forget that that's where we actually not that we actually, but we can actually draw power from it. You know, mm. by being vulnerable, you know, you allowing yourself to, or opening up yourself to criticism and to input. Mm. I think the moment input, you yeah. vulnerable, you sort of are like, okay, this is what's going on. Um, how do I maneuver through this? Mm-hmm. And he does say in this that people think... Um, the moment you kind of subordinate your ego, you're actually weak, but actually that's where the strength comes Mm. from. You know, you, yeah, only when you do that, are you able to take input, he says, Mm. you know, which is very important. Um, Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, um, if you, if you can, pretty much touching on what you were saying, if you can learn to subordinate your ego, then you get that input and that helps you to grow. And it's one of the things that he talks about again and again is just that ability to take feedback and to take it in a constructive way, not in a, oh my gosh, I can't believe this person's attacking me. I'm going to attack them back kind of way because um, that's yeah, your ego. Mm. And I mean that's another book that we should read at some point is Ego is the enemy, mm. um, by Ryan Holiday. It's one of those um so he's a stoic writer, um, but he he has the I think it's the cardinal virtues like courage and temperance and control and then one of the things that he also writes about is that the ego controlling the ego and ego is the enemy. Mm. Um Okay, but wrapping up the that fundamental section, um, he has a nice little conclusion summary at page 84.
1: I, I was going to say, I've noticed he said fundamental. It's actually foundations. but <laughs> Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> foundations. <laughs>
0: um, but he does say fundamentals. <laughs> yeah. You'll see now. <laughs> uh, um, so he says there on page 84, think about the fundamental principles of leadership and overlay them onto everything you see to expand your thinking, cover, move, cover and move simple, prioritize and execute decentralized command, extreme ownership, and the dichotomy of leadership. We didn't touch too much on that, but yeah. And then he says that nothing, um, none of this happens without humility. If a leader thinks they have achieved the pinnacle of leadership expertise, they are really going in the wrong direction. And yeah. So he said there, stay humble and always learn. <laughs> uh, yeah. I think it's really a helpful summary of of that. Oh. Keeping those principles in mind, keep reflecting on them and realize that as a human being, and if you're a leader, as a leader, um you can always grow. And you have to have that humility to, to realize that. Oh. Um Yeah very interesting and it helps me realize a little bit why you always get those leaders that are like reading books and things like that mm. You're like why mm. why are you still reading books you, <laughs> surely they're all saying basically the same thing and, but actually
1: mm. I think it's in, humility. in that some sections that um, that says um, leaders are never good enough and then a leader must be constantly improving and learning um Mm. yeah since leadership is like any job never good enough
0: yeah don't let don't let it get you down it's not like a bad thing it's just like we can continually grow Mm. always can learn more okay so the next so that was the the foundational fundamental (laughs) (laughs) principles of leadership (laughs) And then the next part is, um, core tenants. So it's not exactly the way that he has it structured in the book, although those two parts are, but this is just the sort of key takeaway. So in the core tenants, he has a bunch of different tenants and one of them is going back to that extreme ownership idea. So we're just digging into that a tiny bit more, not a crazy amount more, but a tiny bit more. So he says on page 151 that, um, yet there are still people who feel that a bad team is a legitimate excuse for bad performance. That's simply not true. There's no situation and no exceptions where a subordinate is ultimately responsible for the performance of the team. It's always the leader's fault. And that that's pretty much the thing that I said earlier. Whoa. And he, he really digs into that because he, he essentially says, you know, if, even to the extreme of if I have a a work colleague that um, goes out and drinks and, or maybe in his case, army guy um, goes out and drinks and then is ineffective the next day. Then as a leader, I haven't most likely communicated clearly enough the importance of the mission that we're about to um, do. Or if, um, Or on the other extreme, it might be something where you, you as a leader haven't, if that person is repeatedly doing that and there's no, like you've tried a number of different things to, to correct that behavior, then as a leader, you should have the ability and the, um, the things in place that allow you to remove that person from the situation, whether it's shifting them to a different team where they'll um, be more effective, or whether it's just removing them from the the company or in his case the military Whoa. or the, the the navy um so yeah, I mean at the end of the day, he's saying all of those things come back to the leader, yeah it's the leader's responsibility, and the the part about that is how do you
1: take responsibility Whoa. in in those situations as a leader? Um, just before you move on there, Mm -hmm. on that same section, I also felt that that was, I mean, the, the title to that section itself, you know, the exception to no bad teams, only bad leaders, I think that's where you're reading from. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the last paragraph, um, there's something that jumped out at me when I read that. It says, um while a bad team is without question the result of a bad leader, a good team is not necessary the result of a good leader. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, that's, you know, it's, I think for, for the leader, tough pill to swallow, but it's actually very true. Mm. You know, you can have, um, yeah, a terrible leader, but just have a team either. Um i'll I'll even pedal back a bit Uh, it talks about i think in one of the sections about um judging what was that just give me a
0: sec uh, while you're looking looking it up so i think yeah it's it's a helpful thing to to restate that so what he's saying is the leader is always responsible Mm -hmm. for when issues arise yeah but the leader isn't always responsible for the successes. Mm. Um, so, but if if the problem arises, it's, uh, you it's should be taking responsibility. Mm. But if something goes well, don't assume that mm. that, that was because of your mm. good leadership. Mm. It may have been, but hopefully it's kind of a combination of your leadership yeah. and the team working together mm. to achieve a common goal. Mm. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah, and just uh, to... Yeah, the section I was talking about was judging reputations. Um, And the reason why I bring that, he briefly, in that section, briefly mentions about how, um, I could be wrong if it was that section or not, but about, you know, how when a leader is assigned a team, you might actually come into a team that's already very functional. Mm. That kind of... Has their principles right, you know they're yeah. very decentralized and let's say they're dotting all those eyes and mm. crossing all those T's. and it's up to you as a leader um and in know another section talks about conforming it's up to you as a leader or as an individual to to conform mm. see allow the time to take a step back the whole detachment, see what actually works well for the team before you actually impose any of the disciplines on it. Mm. Um And I mean, um that section also talks about uh, the pros and cons about imposing discipline. You know, as much as you'd want a team to be disciplined, you know, the way in which you impose that discipline is very important. Mm. It goes back to the same thing I was talking about. If you force an idea down people, then I mean, it doesn't always work. Well, yeah. But you need to take measures in which... Get your discipline across, you know, mm-hmm. for for the team to then understand why that is important, either for you or for the team. Mm-hmm. You know? yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, a, a last reflection on the extreme ownership oh. part. Um, it's I think it's going to be helpful to read. Um, but it's a decent chunk of text. Oh. Um, so on 224, he has this idea of saying, if you are looking at two different people and you're wondering like which one is, will make a good leader or which person are you going to, would you prefer to hire or or those kind of things? Look at these two perspectives and, and see for yourself which one you, you think you would go for. Um, and then he says, so you bring the first leader in and ask him what went wrong. A bunch of things went wrong," he replies emphatically. The material didn't show up on time. Our subcontractors were late um, on completing their part of the project. We had terrible weather. The costs um, that cost us quite a few days of work. On top of all of that, there were some conflicts between two of my shifts, and they weren't passing. The, and there were some conflicts between two of my shifts. I don't not quite following there. And then they they were passing information to each other. But basically, there was a bunch of issues, right? Um, and then it's, he says, yeah, clearly this leader is not going to take ownership of anything as a boss. You should not be happy with this attitude. You call the next subordinate leader in and ask what went wrong with her project. Her attitude is different. She says a bunch of things went wrong. She explains, first of all, I didn't order the materials early enough. So some of them showed up late from now on. I'll be sure to order the materials earlier. I also didn't do a good job of keeping track, keeping our subcontractors on track. They were late in completing their part of the project. Next time, I'm going to do a daily check-in to confirm their progress and make sure that things are on track. If they are not, I'll make adjustments to get them on track and make sure that they're not late. We also ran into some weather issues. Unfortunately, I didn't have a contingency plan. On the next project, I will um, be informing everyone that the days missed due to weather will be made up on the weekend, so we don't fall behind. And lastly, two of my shift crews were not getting along very well. I needed to make sh- I need to make sure that they do. I will pay I will play a more proactive role next time to ensure all our teams are getting along well and fully in- integrated, working together. Those are all the things I'm going to fix next time. So, the two different attitudes. Mm-hmm. They're basically saying the same things. Mm. Like there was a bunch of issues mm. that... But the one attitude is like, these issues were completely outside of my control. Yeah. And the other attitude is extreme ownership, saying these appear not to be my fault. Mm. But actually, had I taken more of... um a proactive approach in this scenario or had i been Mm. more on it with the checking in with the subordinates i mean with the subcontractors and various things like that you start to realize that actually there's a lot of things that the leader could have done to to improve that situation now you can't foresee all of those scenarios so it's not like You, uh, the project failed and therefore you're a terrible leader and you should have thought more about it. You could have foreseen all of these things, but the important thing is to say the one leader took responsibility and then based off of that, taking responsibility came up with what is the action plan for what we should do next Next time time these kind of things come up. How can we approach them so that we don't actually end up in the, the, the failed project state? So, yeah, I think it's really straightforward, well, simple examples, but very helpful.
1: Yeah. I think just to add there, I want to say she didn't actually imply that it wasn't her fault. She actually was like taking responsibility of everything, actually, mm. you know, and not only that, then kind of providing a solution the next time that thing happened. Yeah know because the the first guy was just like these are the issues yeah it happened (laughs) you know
0: um, yeah and it's I mean like I find myself often in those kind of situations it if someone says that to me you're like yeah you know that That makes sense. Like there was a bunch of issues that was outside of your control and, oh man, I can't believe those subordinates here. They can't believe them. They just keep on causing nonsense and subcontractors are terrible and stuff like that. And often we don't want to take extreme ownership of those things. But if we do, it's really difficult. But we can make progress in a good direction if we take extreme ownership.
1: Because, I mean, if you really think about it, that can also, going back to like the relation, improve relationships. Mm. Because if if you're playing the blame game all the time because yeah. then you are forever pointing fingers, mm-hmm. then as a result, you lose your team's trust because then they actually don't want to come to you when something's wrong.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, uh, because they're afraid they'll get in trouble. You know, but if you... To them, like, okay, this is exactly what went wrong. You know, it was out of my control, but this is the case. When you're reporting to your higher up. you don't then throw that person under the bus. Yeah, You know, um, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's really important. And then um, something that you already touched on, which is part of those core tenets, and I think you explained it well so we don't have to dig into it, is the... Allowing the team to plan and those different levels of stepping oh. in the whole. Um, if you if you have a plan that's solid, let the team go with it. Even if it's only eighty oh. percent solid, if it's below that, then maybe you need a help out of it. If it's um, really bad plan, ask those probing oh. questions. So yeah, that's another one of those core tenants oh. to to hold on to. And there's a bunch more in that section um, in that sort of. Yeah, because it's broken down into a few different sections mm-hmm. with the chapters. Yeah. There's a bunch more in that section, but yeah. Then the next part, becoming a leader. So this is sort of the, the last part of the book. And he has a bunch of different advice on on becoming a leader and learning how to lead and, and things like that. Um, let me go to page 180. So... For that, um, it talks about um, mentoring without directly mentoring. He says here, The people who taught me the most about leadership, strategy and tactics never explicitly told me that they were coaching or mentoring me. They subtly guided me along the path, filling my head with knowledge while I barely even noticed. They managed to teach me without teaching me, putting ideas into my brain so delicately that I thought the ideas were my own. That's the most powerful way to teach, coach, and mentor. The best best leaders usually lead not by orders, but by suggestion. And then he sort of concludes there, indirect leadership almost always trumps direct leadership. Yeah. So, I mean... If you're a good leader, or if you had a good leader in your um, organization, then often, like, it's almost like, what are they really doing, you know? But meantime, what they're doing is, and I've been using this word purposefully a lot, but they purposefully are um, giving you suggestions and advice that guides you in a certain direction, but it's not, it's not forced. You will do this. Listen to me. I'm giving you these instructions. You must follow them. It's just sort of general advice that they have. They have experience over time and they impart that experience to you subtly over time so that over time you think that those ideas are actually your own, you start to, I don't know, (laughs) weird way of putting it, you become one with those ideas and you ingest them properly. And then those, whatever they are, the laws of combat, those kind of principles, they get, um, they become foundational in your ways of thinking. And then next thing you know, you actually are a good leader or team player yourself because those people have indirectly guided you. They've mentored without directly mentoring. Mm.
1: Yeah, I think just to um, add to that, I know I'm taking us back, but there was a section good. of uh, uh, leadership or manipulation. I think page like seventy, um, um, in um. Mm? Yeah. Um, I was waiting for it again, but then anyway, mm-hmm. in somewhere there, um, I can't remember exactly. It talks about how leadership and manipulation are essentially the same. The only difference is, um, leadership does it for the benefit of the team, mm. yet manipulation does it for your for an individual's uh, for your own benefit. benefit. yeah. Mm.
0: Yeah, and
1: I mean, like, it's a lot of words.
0: Manipulation sounds like a, a weird, and mean thing, and he uh, obviously doesn't mean it in the sense Ooh, of, like, twisting yeah. someone. But in, yeah, directing them, helping them um, be directed, it's it's the same, uh, he, he speaks about this as well um, later, where the team members will naturally take on the... Team leads way of doing things, things yeah. and their attitude and things like that. So if you have a very positive team lead, mm. the team will become yeah. positive. Mm. If you have a very negative team lead, mm. the team will become negative and pessimistic yeah. and that. Mm. And I think those are the kind of ways that he means. Like he means, you you need to manipulate in a healthy way.
1: Yeah, um, I wasn't saying that. know I? I was just adding on to the whole. Um, um, the reason I went back to it was what you're talking about, uh, uh, those mentors that yeah. lead you without you actually realizing that they're doing it by their subtle suggestions and mm-hmm. stuff. you know. And good that you brought that up. It actually reminds me of the story he tells about that better commander they had after the mutiny. He would always clean and take the trash out. Yeah. And he didn't say anything, he just did that. Mm. But then, naturally, they were like, no, we can't let him do that. Then they all then started Mm -hmm. cleaning and taking the trash out. I mean, it could have been him saying that you need to do this because they were always saying they leave that to the newcomers, the new joiners and whatnot. You know, we hire up, we can't do that. But when he did that, they were like, how come he's, we're higher than us, but we think we're better than him not to do that. Yeah. And naturally they fell in line, you know, yeah. um, and that's part of that. I and mean, it's a subtle way of saying, as you impart something to your subordinates that as a leader, this is what I do. Naturally those below you would do that without hesitation. That's if it's not more wrong or anything, yeah. you know, <laughs> <laughs> we need to have that balance. But I mean, if it's as a leader, um, I would like to think you're trying to impart good uh, principles and knowledges mm. on your subordinates. So the good things that you do, if they're very visible, then naturally, you know, your subordinates will soak it up like a sponge and do as you do. Right?
0: Yeah. Yeah, that leadership by example idea is really powerful. and And it ties back to a bunch of things he oh. says. The humility idea as well, like if you are genuinely h- humble, like you aren't the best person in the world, even though you might be in the leadership position, you don't know everything. Um, your some of your team members might know more <coughs> than you in certain situations, and you you should use that and and grow with them. And if you are humble in that way, then taking out the trash or doing those kind of things is not. It's not like I'm doing this to show mm. them this is how it's genuinely you're like this is what we need to oh, do yeah. i'm fine to do it oh. and then if the um your uh, in the military terms if your subordinates are, are willing to take over and help you grateful for that then oh. that's great and it's um i think that's the sign of a really good leader because you, you there's genuine humility there and importantly touches on this again and again you're doing it for the sake of the team It goes back to that to that example that you were saying the The one side of things is people doing it for themselves. Oh. I want this promotion to be better and this and that. The other side of it is I'm doing it for the team. The fact that you get promoted or whatever is kind of neither here nor there. Oh. It's nice and everything, but it's not it, is that going to oh. be the effective thing for oh. the team, and if you are able to be a good leader. Then that's the way that you think about it. it's about the, the the team, not about yourself. Yeah, um, and maybe a last sort of point on that in in the leadership realm of things is um, not stunting the growth of your team either. So there's this concept of as a team leader, you should do the picking of the trash and all of those kind of things, but you should also be willing to pick up the hard tasks to. For example, if your team is really like scared of tackling some task because it's like incredibly difficult and risky or whatever, you as a team leader should be able to step into that and show them and complete the task successfully. You should be capable of doing that and not only capable of doing that, from time to time you should do that to show them um yeah, I mean, it's a funny way of putting it because it sounds very arrogant, but to show them how it's done so that they can draw confidence and say, oh, okay, I can do it. And if I struggle, then my um, leader will help me and, and they know how to do how to do it. But you shouldn't always take on those roles because you. the other side of the coin is, and he says, yeah, you don't want to stunt the growth of your team members. Don't solve every problem they come to you with. Don't let yourself be the easy button. Yeah. And there's that balance, the dichotomy oh. of like doing too oh. much, but also oh. doing too little. Oh. You want to kind of fall in the middle where you taking pressure off them in critical situations oh. where they're going to crumble. Oh. But if they're not going to crumble and they've got enough confidence, then you should let them... Tackle mm. the hard tasks and that's when they'll learn and grow.
1: Mm. And I mean, with that as well, I think it was around that same section where he talks about, um, you doing the job. So just they know that you can do it and they're not irreplaceable. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um,
0: and then there's like three more things with the becoming a leader that we can touch on. Mm. Um, the one is the idea of handling punishment. Oh. So um, on page 245, he talks about it and, and that. But essentially, the core idea there is punishment is a difficult thing to give out, especially if you are sort of a, put it in quotes, a nice leader. You don't want to be, and, and you have good relationships with your team members and things. You don't want to be punishing them. So it's a really difficult thing. And he effectively says it's really difficult, but you do need to do it at certain times. But importantly, you shouldn't be punishing people arbitrarily. You need to have those punishments laid out clearly beforehand. If someone doesn't know that they sort of violated some um, rule or something like that, then you shouldn't be punishing them for that. It should be clear when they had violated oh. those rules, whether it's from a government legal thing where you like you're not allowed to steal or if it's from a in, in a specific company like uh, no um, i don't know just some rule you can come up with it yourself. <laughs> <laughs> um, so those rules should be clearly stated yeah. and if that's done correctly, then the result of that is that it makes punishment, a much easier task, because all that you need to do then is say, look, this is where you failed. This is the rule. And unfortunately, this is the consequence of it. And so we're going to apply that consequence. And then, yeah, try not to do it next time or something like that. And there is, he does talk about having a bit of discretion there. And it's not always like there's the rule, there's the punishment full stop. As a leader, you need to take it. Did the person do this multiple times? Oh. Is it a one-time thing, etc., etc.? Cetera, et cetera. But yeah, the, I think that's a really helpful idea as a leader because leaders, some leaders are ha- very happy to punish and that's a problem. You shouldn't be punishing for every that's little thing. Problem. That's just going to, yeah, it's just not good. Um, but other leaders will struggle to punish and having those clear guidelines is a really helpful oh. tool um then another one is um the idea of the tactical versus the strategic plan and so on page 250 let me quickly go there he he talks about there's an idea in the military where they say never give up or seals they they say never give up um and so some people take that too far. There's an example where um they're doing a training exercise and the training exercise is you have say about 10 troops Ooh. and what they have is this building and then at the one passage in the building there's a person with basically a heavy firearm that can kill anyone that tries to run down the passage. And so what initially happens is some leaders they'll they'll rightfully this is what they sort of supposed to do they'll try and approach the different scenarios then they eventually get to that passage and they need their their strategic goal basically their long-term end goal is to get to the other side of the building so that they can get to their um i can't remember what it is but let's say they need to um help some civilian and that's their strategic goal that's captured and imprisoned or whatever so they need to get past this um the they need to get there and so they'll get to this passage, and what they'll do is they'll send two troops in, and those troops will run down, and then they'll get shot down, and then they'll um, basically play dead because they like it's a, not a real gunfire in, oh. in the training scenarios. So they'll they'll die, and then what the leader will do is they'll send another two and another two and another two and he'll basically keep on going and then eventually it's him and he'll run down the passage and then he'll get shot and he, he dies as well. And then when reevaluating, sometimes they think they did the right thing. They never gave up, even though uh, everyone died, they didn't give up and that's what the, that's one of the key things in um, never give up, you know. But... Jocko is like, no, <laughs> all of your troops died in real life. If that happened, like, that's terrible. That is a horrible outcome. Why on earth would you continue? And sometimes they even redo the training and people still do that. Mm. The same thing. Because they just, this never give up mm. thing is so drilled in. Um, but at the end of the day, if you detach and you step back and, and that, then you'll, there's other ways of approaching the scenario mm. and things. And his point there is, um, on page 250, he says, I would explain to him the difference between the strategic objective, remember, that's the long-term one, and the tactical one. And that it's okay to quit a tactical plan if it wasn't working, especially if not quitting the tactical plan or objective was actually going to hurt our ability to reach the strategic objective. So the short-term plan should be very like result dependent. You know, if if the short term plan is going well, okay, cool. Continue mm-hmm. forward. If it's going badly, take a step mm-hmm. back, reevaluate, try and come up with another plan. Mm-hmm. The strategic goal, not to say that strategic goals can never change, but the strategic goals, they are the ones that are more fixed. Mm-hmm. You like as a company, we want mm-hmm. to develop this product. And that's our main goal. Um, a, that can't even be a tactical goal, but very different discussion. But if you have some strategic goal, then that's the thing that you should really be pushing to mm. not give up. But the tactics, change them as they need to mm. be. Stick to them if they're working, mm. but if they do not, change them.
1: Like, what's important is the end goal. So do mm. you, anything you can achieve the end goal is essentially what he's trying to say yeah
0: Mm. exactly Mm. and then lastly the thread of why let me quickly jump over to 271 so the thread of why he says here um, explaining why is important but why has to be tied and connected to every um to everyone in the chain of command So this goes back basically to the simple, um, uh, law of combat. So keep things simple in order to be able to explain Mm. your why, which uh, from reading between the lines, it's the why is what is your strategic objective? Mm. Why are we doing something? And if you can convey that really clearly then that decentralized command and all of those kind of things, oh. things can start coming into play because every under, everyone understands why right. they're doing something. And so different team members and team leaders and things like that can start making good decisions, not only because they're good leaders, but because they they're understand not. why they're doing something. And so it's like in software, I think possibly too often... Software developers, myself included, will not fully understand the The business domain and and the why a certain feature is being implemented. And without that why, you can't make good decisions. You're just sort of following instructions blindly. Um, So that's why, yeah, that's why why is important. Yeah. Okay. Um... That's, That's, I think, pretty much the the broad summary of the book. Um, I'll read through the concluding chapter just because it's, I think, a really good conclusion. But I don't know if you have any concluding thoughts before we...
1: No. um, It was... Not it was. It is a good book. Um, yeah, it was. It's um, aged really you know. It's don't worry about reading it. Everyone back knows. in the box. You know. <laughs> you know. It'll be dusted twenty years <laughs> from now. You know. No. Um. It is a really book. Good book. Um. Hmm. And I think one that I'll go back to and kind of read other parts of it. And I think the surprising part was it does it introduce new things, if yeah. I may. It's mm-hmm. things that are there, things that we know. I think it's just... that Sometimes it just takes someone, you know, kind of speaking into something for it to kind of have the light bulb on in your head. Um, mm. But having said that, it doesn't mean, even though it's th- things I know, it's things that I practice. You know, I think... um that's one thing I can say. I've taken away from this book that we may know things, but up until we do them and practice them, do we get better at them? You know, there's, mm. and I think that goes with everything. Actually, you know, we might know what needs to be done. I mean, even in, going back to when I was in school, for instance, maths. You know, everyone knew how to solve problems. You know, or the fundamentals, but we had to practice so that we know how to tackle, you know, mm. sums that we had never encountered, you know? Um, so, yeah. Um, I, th- I think we say this about most books, but <laughs> I yeah. recommend this book. <laughs> yeah.
0: Me too. Um, I mean, we do choose the books. So <laughs> it's good that we end up enjoying
1: reading them. <laughs> yeah. Um, mm. Yeah. That's all I can say.
0: Yeah. No, it's, a really good book. And I think you nailed it there with the, it's not s- like profound new advice. Mm. It's solid, straightforward principles laid out in a good way. Mm. But at the end of the day, they they things that most people would be like, I, I already mm. know that. Of course, that's obvious. Mm. But then you actually look at teams and things like that mm. and they're not implementing mm. it. And that's why I think he says early on in the book, Look at those principles and all the the laws of combat. Look at them, try and really understand them and keep on trying to reflect back on how you can apply them and where do they apply and when I applied it, how did it work out and those kinds of things. And if you do that and really ingrain it in your mind, then you will be a more effective leader because you're using the obvious things... But you're actually using them. Yeah. <laughs>
1: um,
0: okay. Conclusion. So I'll let him conclude because <laughs> his conclusion is very good. Um, so he says, uh, sort of, a almost t- subtitle of the conclusion chapter is It's All on You, but Not About You. So he goes on to say, When you're a leader, there are no, and I'm just going to sort of jump through little pieces. When you're a leader, there are no excuses. There is no one else to blame. You have to make the decisions. You have to build relationships. You have to communicate so that everyone can understand. You have to control your ego and your emotions. You have to be able to detach, etc., etc. Then he goes on to say, Leadership is all on you. But at the same time, leadership is not about you. Not at all. Leadership is about the team. The team is more important than you are. The moment you put your own interests above the team and above the mission is the moment you fail as a leader. And he says leadership strategies and tac- the leadership strategies and tactics in this book are used um, are to be used not so you can be successful. These strategies and tactics are to be used so the team can be successful. And then later if the team succeeds, you win as a leader but infinitely more important, your people win. And that's true leadership. Yeah. If it, if you're a true leader, then you will truly care about your team oh. and their success more than your own. And that's the sign of a true leader, oh. I guess. <laughs> cool. cool. Thanks, Peter. Thanks, James. We'll chat again.